In, in Romans 12, verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, in light of all that we have just gone over, our condemnation, our justification, our sanctification, all of these, the work of God, in light of this, he says, by the mercies of God, you therefore should present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What in the world does that mean, a living sacrifice? You know, sacrifices usually end up dead, right? And what he's saying is sacrificing your life, living your life as a, as a, a praise to God. So here it is. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that look like? Holy and acceptable to God, which, by the way, is your spiritual worship. I think the text says a little more than that. It's the right thing to do in light of all that God has done for you. Do not be conformed to this world. Sanctification here, friends but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Hey, there's the connection. We knew he was going somewhere. How do we know the will of God? Well, friends, you're going to have to think differently. Your thoughts and your perceptions will have to be different if you are to know the will of God. And there are three habits that we are going to look at here today. Three habits that you must have in your life. Three habits that you must be diligent about if you are going to know the will of God. Now, these things are not impossible, but I am not saying that these things are easy. Discipline in and of itself the word itself tells us that we want to do one thing, but we cause ourselves to do something different. So let's take a look at the three habits that we have here this morning that we must practice in our life if we will be able to discern the will of God for our lives. And I guarantee you, you can know exactly what it is that God would have for you how to make every decision in your life confidently, to know that you have not blown it. I should have done something different in college, and now my whole life is over. Got some encouragement for you, friends. See, the first, now, you know, let's do this here. Ready? This is, what is this? This is a spider doing push-ups on a mirror. No, we're flexing. <laughs> we're getting ready to turn some pages here, Okay. Those of you doing using your tech, uh, your phone or your tablet, this, okay. <laughs> the first habit that you must be careful to discipline in your life is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, theologically, what are we talking about here? We're not talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a new thing in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we saw all of these mighty men of God do incredible things when the Spirit of God came upon them. And God worked mightily through them. But you know what? The Spirit would depart. David, 
in his great sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, prayed to God, take not your spirit from me. That was the Older Testament, the New Testament, this new covenant that we are under. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter verse 14 tells us this, that the Spirit of God is given to us as a guarantee of our inheritance. A guarantee. That word, if you go into Greece today and use that word, they would say, oh, you can buy the rings over here. It means an engagement ring. It is a promise. The moment you guys, you remember those days when you like, I think I'm going to marry this woman. I mean, I really, but I want like the whole thing, the rest of my life, I want to wake up with her, I want to live with her, I want to do breakfast and lunch and dinner, and I want to do chores with this woman, and I'm always going to help her with all of these things. Remember those days? Ladies, now the time to sharpen that elbow. And <laughs> yeah. And you made a promise, a vow. That as long as I have breath in these lungs, I will love you. And we know that love is not an emotion. We know that love is a sacrificial investment in someone else's life. Yeah. Going to invest in you and help you to become all that God would have you to be. I want to be your best cheerleader. I want to be the person on the sidelines. I want to be the coach in the game, encouraging you along the way. That is the spirit of God. So what are we talking about here? Are we talking about the indwelling? No, that happens. You didn't even know what happens. Would you realize you were a sinner? The wages of sin is death. You absolutely deserve eternity in hell because of your sin against a holy God. And then you heard the good news that Christ died for your sin. And he rose from the dead. And you put your faith in him. And you were baptized into the church. We're not talking about literal baptism. We're talking about spiritual baptism that oftentimes and ought to be followed by physical baptism. You know, so the work of the Spirit of God. So what are we talking about here? Well, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, there it is. Ephesians chapter 5. Be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, we realize that being filled with the Spirit means to cooperate with the Spirit. Take a look here. Look at this text. Therefore, Paul says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine... For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So he makes a contrast, being filled with wine or drunk with wine. What is, what is it? Uh, how can you tell if someone is drunk with wine? How can you tell if anyone is influenced by these things? We say under the influence. You can see it in their behavior. Yes? Yes, and so we're talking about influence. 
You know, strong drink has an influence on your thinking, on your behavior, on your speech. It shows up about everywhere, right? And thus the filling of the Spirit of God is influence in your life. If we are to know the will of God, the Spirit of God must be in control. And so think of this. We must cooperate with the Spirit. If the Spirit of God has been convicting you of a sin or of a behavior or simply tell, just making it clear that you're walking down the wrong path, not because it's evil, but because it's not the will of God. I dated a girl in college, and, uh, and it was the weirdest thing, and maybe you've had this experience. I mean, she was like perfect. She was like, wow, this lines up really well. We agree on so much. We, and, and, you know, um, I mean, it was, it was a pretty cool thing. You know, you got all the adrenaline and everything. But my mind is like, this seems really good fit. And I woke up one day. There was no big dream and no angel came down from heaven with a message for me. But I was convinced in my own mind that she was not the one. Why? I mean, that's mean. I mean, I broke her heart. But you know what? She's probably happy today that that didn't happen. She's got a husband and a family, and they're all thrilled, and they love her, and and I love Melanie. And I'm grateful that I didn't just dismiss what I sensed the Spirit of God was doing in my life. I wasn't fighting against I had all kinds of reasons why I should continue on in this relationship. It was honoring to God. It was focused on what is good and true. There was nothing wrong. The the Spirit of God said, nope, not the one. Now, did I get anything out of that? Absolutely. You know what I learned? You can actually have a good, healthy relationship with someone. Who'd have thought I hadn't had those before? And it prepped me for the next semester. (laughs) A good, healthy relationship with a woman. Imagine that. A godly relationship. Imagine it. So you need to cooperate with the Spirit of God. Instead of being dragged from place to place, God has demonstrated in the Old Testament very clearly, if he wants you to go from A to B, he'll get you there. Remember that guy named Jonah? God said, off to Nineveh. And Jonah thought, no, those are despicable people. And if I go and preach the gospel, those guys are going to repent and then you're going to forgive them. And I don't want that because I hate those people. And so Jonah ran. Jonah ran. Did God get him to point B? Everyone said, yeah. Because God can do that, the easy way or the hard way. My friends, cooperate with the Spirit of God, the influence of the Spirit. Cooperate. Now, we were just uh, talking about Romans. Turn with me to Romans 8.23. Now, a lot of these things are going to appear up here if you find this cumbersome in some way to search the Scriptures. But... Why should we uh, cooperate with what the Spirit of God is doing? Because we know precisely exactly what the Spirit of God is doing in our life. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, 
we, we read this very familiar verse, but with a little more context. And we know, verse 28 of Romans 8, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Well, that's lucky. Friends, luck has nothing to do with it. God has a plan. He is working his plan. He is providentially working throughout our lives and around our lives to bring us to a particular destiny. You don't believe me? Keep reading. For those whom he foreknew, think about this. God foreknew people like me and you. What does that mean? He knew us ahead of time. Before the foundation of the world, Ephesians says. But here in Romans, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God is not working on the fly in your life. Well, what can we do today? There's nobody wandering back and forth in heaven saying, what are we going to do now? God has a plan for your life, and he wastes nothing. And what is that plan? To conform you to the image of Christ. Friends, that is not about appearance. That is about character, who we are. The Spirit of God is working in us to bring about this ending in our life, and God will have his way, conforming us to the character of his Son. I mean, look at those big, heavy words, you know? Those whom he foreknow, he predestined. You know what predestination is? Choosing the destiny ahead of time. You know, the destination ahead of time, where you're going to end up. And every event that occurs in your life is part of that conforming. God uses all of it. The small stuff to open your eyes to things. The annoying stuff maybe to turn away from things. God directs us through all of these. And he is conforming us to the character of son. Why? That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. It's true. All those whom God predestined to have this destination, to be conformed to the character of Christ, to be in a relationship of intimacy with Christ, he called. See, you thought you just lucked out and went to a church and they talked about Jesus and suddenly it made sense for the first time. You heard it a dozen times at least. And you thought, you know, if I'm a smart person, I should put my trust in Christ. And you thought that was all about you, but that is the Spirit of God calling you into a relationship with Christ. Hmm, Tablets, great things. And those whom he predestined, he called. And you know what? And those whom he called, he justified. We talked about that earlier. The righteousness of Christ put in our account He justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. There is glory for every one of us who has put our faith in Jesus Christ. We will reflect the character of Christ, and we will take part in his glory. That's a destiny. So the Spirit of God is working in your life 
to lead you into relationships, experiences, all for the purpose of conforming us to the character of Christ. And I know that inside you say, yeah, but not this. This was just bad. This was horrible. This was scarring. There's no way that God had anything to do with that. Don't you believe it for a second. God uses everything for your good. All things work together. Those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. And what's his purpose? To conform you to the image of Christ. My friends, we must cooperate with the work of the Spirit and not fight against the Spirit. There is a uh, spurious tale about uh, the brilliant Renaissance artist Michelangelo, as I like to call him. <laughs> it's also his name. That when they saw the, the, the great statue of David, you've certainly seen those images. It's very revealing. You know, I mean, there's nothing hidden on this, 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 this sculpture. And uh, it's unlikely that it's true, but it's a really great story nonetheless. You know, apparently the, 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 there's this gentleman that asked this question, you know, how do you do this? This, this is astounding from rock to make this, this, this beautiful statue. And he says, it's really quite simple. And it always is for people who know what they're doing. He says, I just cut away everything that's not David. Now think about that in light of the Spirit's work to conform us to the character of Christ. Chipping away everything that is not Christ in our lives. Bringing in that which is. Suddenly you better understand the will of God for your life. But we're not done. We're not done. My friends, this is precisely how the Spirit of God is working in our life through every circumstance that you think is an accident, a misfortune, a lucky event that just happened. I met this person and they knew this and so I got the ticket and I was able to. And you think, man, I was lucky. I guarantee you there's no such thing as luck. It is the movement of the Spirit of God in your life. Well, my friends, we have seen how we ought to cooperate with the Spirit, the destiny of believers. And now, what is the evidence of the Spirit's work in our life? How do you know if the Spirit of God is working in your life? How do you know if you have the Spirit at all? Romans 8 says, those who have not the Spirit have not Christ. You don't have the ring, you're not getting married, my friends. You don't have the promise, it's not there. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I quote this all the time. You should be misquoting it like I am by now. <laughs> In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, Paul lays out the evidence of the Spirit's work in our life. How do we know that the Spirit of God is working? How do we know that this isn't all just happening? Well, there ought to be change in your life. Paul says here in chapter 5, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Your appetite is different. The Spirit of God, if you are cooperating with the Spirit of God, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, 
to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. I mean, we can see. It's pretty obvious if you're pretty, you just do whatever you feel. Those works are are very obvious, Paul says. Sexual immorality, impurity and sensuality, idolatry, those things that you worship and hold on so tightly to. Sorcery, enmity, strife and jealousy, fits of anger and rivalries, dissensions and divisions, envy and drunkenness, orgies and things like these. I warn you. As I warned you before, that those who do such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live according to the flesh, that is not their destiny, my friends. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is when the Spirit of God is working in you, this is what the Spirit of God produces. The fruit. What does a tree produce? Fruit. What is the fruit of the Spirit's work in your life? Love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. How can we tell who has the Spirit? Look for the fruit. Jesus said, Look at their fruits. How are they living? You'll know who's authentic and who is not. People can pretend for so long about these fruits. We can put on a good show. It's so nice to have you. But I really wish you'd get out of here. Come on. You're you're a bunch of phonies. You know it. So am I. We've all put on the act. You know, there's those relatives that you wish they'd never come over again, you know. You don't want talking about, but you shall not name them. You shall face that face to face and say, what is wrong with my heart that keeps me from loving someone else? Oh, you can say, yeah, but what they did. Yeah, but what you did. Don't be a hypocrite. It's the works of the flesh, my friends. Love, joy. Look, this is not instruction. Go try and be loving. Go try and be faithful and just and kind. And f- This is the work of the Spirit of God. And if you will stop fighting against what the Spirit of God wants to produce in you, you'll start to see these things. As a matter of fact, others will start to see these things. These are the things, even as a small child, I knew that my mom was different You know, my dad, wise, smart. I mean, this guy understood things. He could put it all, lay it out, chop it up, and put it all together. And I would stand back and be awe. But my mom, I mean, the fruit of the Spirit was so clear in her life. Probably someone is coming to mind in your head right now. They're just so different. The fruit of the Spirit is highly recognizable, my friends. to the evidence of the Spirit's work. That's habit number one, my friends. Cooperate with the filling of the Spirit of God. Filling equals influence. 
Let the Spirit of God have its way in your life. Stop pushing it aside and pushing your own will, my friends. Habit number two. How do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit? Come on, let's lay it out here, Dave. What kind of things should we be doing that are in cooperation with the Spirit of God? Two words. Spiritual disciplines. You've heard me talk about these things. Spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are are practices found in the Scripture that promote spiritual growth. I mean, they are habits of devotion, of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by people since the very beginning. What are these spiritual disciplines? My friends, you neglect these, you do so at your own peril. Spiritual disciplines. Remember this, spiritual disciplines are means, not an end. You know, it was the Pharisees that, oh, we study the Bible all the time. We hate everybody around us, and we flaunt it in everyone else's face as if that was the end. See, I do these things, therefore I am. It's not true. These are a means to an end. They produce, you know. Any runners out there? Any people who walk (laughs) semi-slow? Anybody whose knees hurt from the last basketball game? Yeah, habits, they produce. I mean, think about it, you know, exercise. When I was in uh, junior high, the varsity football coach came, talked to us all, said, you got to hit the weights, and by the time you're a senior, going to be big and strong and win championships. He was not wrong. But here's the discipline, you know? I'm tired, I got a little sleep, and I school all day long, and I don't want to hit the weight room. But I did, and I did every day, and by the time, I started out benching 95 pounds. I mean, that's the expression you use followed by weakling, the 95-pound weakling, and it was embarrassing, and there was bigger guys, older guys doing so much more. But me and my buddy, Jeff, we stuck with it. And by the time I graduated, in my senior year, I benched 305 pounds. How do you do that? It ain't by wanting it, my friends. It's disciplined. You want to be a fully mature follower of Christ who knows the will of God, who understands the word? Surely you've said that. I wish I knew the word like fill in the blank. Wishing don't make it happen, my friends. Disciplines. One of these disciplines, one of the first perhaps is a good place to start is prayer. I ask you this, other than when you're about to eat, do you have a time every day when you just take time to pray? Why not? It's too hard. It takes too long. It's, why not? I'll wait so you can answer that to yourself. How about we start there? You want to change your life? Start talking to God. It is one of the things that Jesus just invited us to do. When you pray, this is how you do it. Who hasn't heard of the Lord's Prayer? Friend, it wasn't something to memorize and and squawk out. It was an outline of things you ought to be talking about God about, talking to God about. 
So pray. Pray about what? What do, what do I do in prayer? You know, and God bless Jimmy and Bobby and Frank and Susie and Janie. And that's not prayer. What do you mean by bless anyway? What is it that you want God to do in their life? I'll tell you what. My son is in Thailand right now. He's bitten by a mosquito. He has dengue fever. If he ever gets it again, he's dead. I mean, you know, and God bless Alex and God bless. What do you want for them? You know, you know what I want? I want to see my son loving Jesus with all his heart. I want to see him pursue. God, make him healthy. How about God, make him healthy and use this event. God, you say you don't waste anything. All these things work together. God, turn his heart heavy toward you. What are you praying for your kids or your spouse? Really? Everything's A-okay the way it is? Pray, my friends, pray. And prayer looks a lot like worship. We honor God when we ask, when we come to him as a generous, loving king who has called us to do just that. Confession, aligning your will. You really want what God wants or you're just trying to get God to do what you want? Pray, my friends. Study and memorize. Meditate on God's word. Get in the word of God. Why? Because the spirit of God uses the word of God to lead the child of God in order to conform the child of God to the character of the son of God, all for the glory of God. A little poem I learned just how it all works together. It fits. It is exactly what the spirit of God uses. The greatest weapon to lead you is the Word of God. You're not in the Word of God. Spirit of God doesn't have a whole lot to use. Just experiences. Many unpleasant. So you've got to be a student of the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of truth. But friends, you've got to get in the word of God. You've got to do it. Paul, writing to Timothy, again, this pastor in Ephesus, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I mean, look at this, 2 Timothy 3.16. He's like, the word of God will tell you what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. If you are not in the word of God, my friends, you do not have God's word and God's spirit guiding you, directing you to be exactly where God would have you to be, seeing what God would have you to see, and understanding what God would have you to understand in order that when you face the next decision, you know exactly what to do. You know exactly what the will of God is for your life. God has laid all of this out for us. My friends, get in the Word. I mean, the Word of God, you know, we must be students of the Word of God, but notice that the Word of God is, is instrumental in revealing the will of God. I mean, there are verses like 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 that just lay it out. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that process in which we're being conformed to the character of God's Son. Yeah, 
your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. Remember the all means all and that's all all means? Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, you praise God for that because you know that God uses all things together for our good, for his glory. Hmm. You thank him. All circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Nothing silences a critic more than good living. And being a holy, devout follower of Christ, it's awfully hard to argue against a life well lived. Live it well, my friends. Live it well. Another habit, discipline, spiritual discipline, is worship. Worship, it easily follows the study of the Word of God because worship is a response to the truth of God. And that response is celebration and praise. Worship is not happy time. Worship is not, oh, I really like this song. Worship is, I got every one of those words, worship is a response of the heart to the truth about God. I sat there in the back this morning as worship team was rehearsing, looking up at the words of songs as they reminded me of the truth about God. It called my heart to the word of God, reading the, the end of uh, the book of Revelation and my heart just rejoiced in that God will keep his promises. Whatever it costs, Paul says, you know, I'm convinced that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed. It's worth it. My heart just rejoices in this truth. So worship, witness, testify to God's great salvation. You know the verses? There's four of them. It lays out the truth. The first three are truths. The first truth is this. Say it with me. All have sinned. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us is sinners. The second truth is the wages of sin is death. That's Romans 6.23. Wages of sin is death. Both of those bad news. The good news is this. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, say it, Christ died for us. He died in our place. He paid the penalty. And what is the one response to all of these things? Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith. Trusting in Christ. Faith is reliance, depending on Him. No plan B. When you sat in the chair, you rest all your weights. No, not one of these things, right? You trusted it to hold you up. You trust that Christ's death was sufficient to pay the penalty for our sin. People ask me how I'm doing, and I say, better than I deserve for two reasons A, I know the truth, B, I know my life. 
I know my hearts, I know my actions, we are all better off than we deserve. And finally, invest. I mean, there are other habits, silence, try and go a, a morning without saying anything. It's easy to do at night, because nobody wants to talk. In early morning, <laughs> my beloved wife, when she wakes up, <laughs> says to me, what time is it? Like, I don't even want to open my eyes, let alone my mouth. <laughs> yeah, but try that, to be silent. Habits. Invest, my friends. Invest. By supporting this church, that offering plate goes around. You are not just investing in paying bills, my friends. Monies go out to support missionaries where the word of God is preached. The training materials, the paper on which we print these bulletins. I mean, the expenses are great. When you give, you honor God and you support the work that he is doing. But investment isn't just financial. How about this? Take a look at the needs and say, hey, who's watching those kids over there anyway? I mean, if we, you know, a lot of faces somehow missing from the worship service pretty often. And you know why? Because they're the ones ministering to those kids. They miss out on the good stuff that you experience here. You know? Maybe take a rotation. Figure out what it is that God would have you to do. What does the Spirit of God open your eyes to do? Get at it. Get at it. Well, finally, and we're going to wrap it up right here, or else you're going to go home anyway. <laughs> this is the third discipline of knowing the will of God. And you may even laugh at it, but it's true. Make a decision. I'm going to say that slowly. Make a decision. It's the third aspect of knowing the will of God. You see, you can make a decision confidently that it is the will of God when God has shaped you in such a way that you love what he loves, that you value what he values, and suddenly you're thinking like he would think. The Spirit of God is using the Word of God and shaping you. And suddenly you love the things that He loves. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to His glory. According to Him. God is working in us to make choices. And how do we know this? They, they look like preferences. You know, what should you have for dinner tonight? Well, I, I know that my body and your body too is the temple of the Spirit of God whom we have from God. And we should glorify God in our bodies. So it probably shouldn't be McDonald's. Right? I mean, take a look at what the Word of God says. I mean, you're studying it. You know, we need strength, not stuff that slows us down. I've got joint pain. What can help me with that? Hmm. What better enables me to have the capacity to serve God? Melanie keeps making salmon, and some of you. Hmm, so good. Me? 
Not so much. But you know why she fixes it? Because she loves me. And she knows it's good for me. It's not fried. Come on, my wife's not a monster. <laughs> I mean, fried fish tastes better to me, but, you know, I've made a covenant. If she fixes it, I will eat it. I had pancakes for dinner yesterday. And you know how she, how she made these pancakes? She put blueberries in them. And you know why she put blueberries in them? It's not because she likes blueberries. It's because I like blueberries. And South Haven, Michigan is the blueberry capital of the whole planet, potentially the whole solar system. I don't know if they got blueberries on Mars. I don't know. But my friends, you make decisions confidently when God has shaped you to choose his will. And God even uses your mistakes. Yes? Can you testify to that today that you look back on decisions you've made in the past and you say that was bad? But then when you will look at the, the big picture of your life and how God moved you even through your bad... Think about God said he was going to take the nation of Israel down into Egypt, remember? And there they would uh, uh, multiply to two and a half million people, become this nation. How did they get there? Well, these uh, the ten brothers of Joseph hated this guy. That's a wrong choice. <laughs> we don't call that a mistake. We call it sin. So much so they wanted to kill the guy. And at the last minute, the brother softened his heart, loved this guy. So he said, let's just sell him as a slave. God used that. God used their foolishness, their selfishness, and their hatred. You remember, Joseph went down there as a slave. Ended up the second most powerful in all of the nation. All of this kingdom. God uses everything, my friends. Now, that is no permission to be sloppy in your decision-making. But know this, that God uses everything to shape you. Some of those foolish decisions we made in our youth are what helped us to come to the decision. We don't want to live that again. We don't want to go through that over and over again. We need a different path. But what is the way? And suddenly the Spirit of God leads us to Christ. So God even use, uses what seem like mistakes in our life. Yeah. If you check the uh, pressure in your tires lately, you know that could be quite dangerous. <coughs> and you know God can never use a flat tire. Or can he? <coughs> and the answer is, of course, God uses everything. Not permission to be careless, my friends but know confidently that God is not going to let you choose something to wreck his will. Guess what? You can't. And so when it really comes down to this is make the best choice you know and trust that the Spirit of God will guide you in that and use this even if it seems like a great detour in your life, a missed exit, oh! And yet God is planning your time of arrival. It may be different than yours. At least your plan. God uses everything. And make sure you've prepared properly in every, every decision. Look, this is just wise. How about this? You've checked the scriptures. Whom shall I marry, I said as a kid. I mean, does God even want me to be married? I mean, I know some people don't get married. Is that God's will for my life? I don't know. 
I mean, I dated a bunch of girls I didn't want to marry, <laughs> you know? Then I come to Melanie, and I, God, is she the one that you would have me to marry? I mean, I want to marry her, but just because I want something doesn't mean it's right. How will I know? Now, what does God say about wives? What kind of people that should be honored, that Proverbs 31 thing? You know, who do I want to join my life to? Does she match up to that? And then how about this? As a husband, am I the man of character who can love his wife even when he's grumpy and had a bad day and a flat tire again? And I mean, should I be a burden into someone's life or what kind of man should I be? What does the word of God say about such things? Make a decision. What does the word of God say? Should I buy an eighth car? Build another garage? Hey, there was a wealthy dude in the Bible who did that. You know? What shall I do? I'll tear down my barn and I'll build a bigger one. And you know what God said to him? You fool. You know not that tonight your soul will be required of you. You have invested in things, but not that which lasts. Careful about the stuff, my friends. So, have you asked God for wisdom? Prayer. God, what would you have us to do? We have this decision to make. We don't know the future, and we know that you do. What would you have us to do? Help us to make a choice that honors you. A choice that is consistent with your, your word. And then how about this? Check your motives. You know, gathering up all of these things to fulfill the lust of your flesh. Oh, I'll be so happy if I have that. Come on. We wouldn't buy anything if we didn't think that. Oh, my life will be so much better if only I could have this $28 item Really? 28 bucks? Is that what it is? Don't be fooled. Doesn't mean you shouldn't buy it. But let's check our motives on our decisions. And finally, uh, have you asked wise counsel? Someone who's been there before. I think I'm in the market for a new modem for my uh, internet at home. What kind of modem do you have at home? How has it worked for you? Or maybe let's talk to the tech-savvy people that know what Doxis 3.1 is. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> uh, there's always Google, right? Yeah. Yeah, or better YouTube, huh? <laughs> My friends, the principle is this. The principle to knowing the will of God is this, that God must work in us before he can work through us. When you become the person that God would have you to be, then you will by nature choose that which he would have you choose. And all through the process, that is the case. From the very newborn first trusting in Christ to the very mature we will choose according to where we are. Last week I said this, who you are will determine what you choose. 
So if you long to know the will of God, then it's time to start acting as if you're going to live out the will of God. Start today. Start today. Sermon in a sentence. Here it is. When we become the people God would have us to be, we will choose what he would have us to choose. Who we are determines what we choose. But as we are conformed to the character of Christ, we will choose that which honors him. So practice those spiritual disciplines. Get in prayer. Get in the study of the word of God. Take time for worship, meditation, thoughts about what God has said and how they intersect with your life and what they call you to do. Check your motives, my friends. Let me ask you this. Do you even care what the will of God is for your life? Check yourself. Is this even on your radar? Is the prayer, God, what would you have me to do? Even in your experience, maybe it's time for change, huh? And finally, check the fruit. I know that I will not make a spirit-led decision if I don't have the Spirit's work, the evidence of the Spirit's work in my life. Do I think any differently than I used to think? Are my skills a little sharper in the Word of God? You know, I have conversations with lots of people. I love people. I'm a people person. Give me people. <laughs> and people are at different places in their relationship with God. One of the things about talking about a relatively talking to a relatively new believer is they can't stop talking about the Bible. And I was reading this and I'm like, I don't even know what this means, but I'm really excited about it, you know? And then you talk to some older believers and you know, hey, what you reading lately? Oh, it's a bestseller, it's a mystery, it's a... No, 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 in the Bible. Well, you know, uh, friends, you trusted Christ for a new life, didn't you? God, I need this new life. I want to say goodbye to this frustrating, endless purposeless life and I want to trust you and whatever it takes God whatever you call me to do I'll do it I mean I'm not going to pray every day because you know there's Gilligan's Islands on and I don't want to miss that sale over at Kohl's they sent me a coupon you know <laughs> get in the word get on your knees or sit in your chair I don't care how you're praying I don't think God cares much either Though our posture often reflects our attitude. Check the fruit, my friends. If the Spirit of God is not working in your life and He always leaves evidence, be greatly concerned. Because those who have not the Spirit have not Christ. You know the way. What will you do with it? God help us. Oh God, we, we are needy people. We are so blinded to so much. 
God, we need you to open our eyes to see our condition and to see the possibilities of what could be if we 